If you have a Bible, would you please open to Romans chapter 12? We'll be in verses 9 to 13. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, which is on uh, 948 in the Bible, it's under the seats in front of you. So Romans 12, 9 to 13. So typically around the first of the year, and Happy New Year, by the way, I'd Neglected to say that earlier. Happy New Year. Uh, we, I do one sermon uh, that I call the State of the Church, and so that's today. So State of the Church 2021. It's a time that we reflect on uh, with gratitude what God did in the past year and then consider something in our church or some aspect of the ministry going forward. And So that's what we'll do today. I want to take some time to consider the past year. Uh, particularly the stuff that happened with the virus, and then focus on neighborhood small groups for a bit, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let me uh, read the text here. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father, your hands have made and fashioned us. And so we turn to you, our creator, that you might give us understanding that we may learn your commands. We know that those who fear you shall rejoice, and so teach us to hope in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Romans 12 opens the application portion, if you will, of the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters are concerned mainly with the doctrine of justification that we have by faith been forgiven of all of our sin and been counted before God, legally declared, innocent and just, eternally in Christ. That's the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then in chapter 12 through 16, it applies that doctrine to life. Having been justified in Christ, therefore, so in chapter 12, 1, you see a therefore. Therefore, by the mercies of God, what mercies? The mercies of his justification. By these great mercies of God, having been counted righteous in Christ, Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So live it. Live out your justification. It's not enough just to say, whew, I've been forgiven. I can coast the rest of my life. No, having been forgiven, now we want to work out that justification. We want to work out the salvation with fear and trembling. We want to learn how to walk before Christ in a way pleasing to God. And our text shows us how to do that. Chapter 12 through 16, chapters 12 through 16 are mainly about how to love other Christians. How to live together as the church. Having been justified, having been knit together in this body, how do we love each other? How do we live out this justification with each other? Well, we've been given gifts in 12, 3 through 8. And then we are to use those gifts to love each other. So let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be zealous. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Be constant. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. What I want to do is apply those exhortations that come out of our justification to neighborhood small groups. What I want to say is, neighborhood small groups are the main place at Pine Grove that you can live out this justification and, and these commands in our church. But before that, I want to reflect on the past year. This past year, uh, or at least ministry year, we saw the launch of Pine Grove Wednesdays, uh, which I think have, have, have been well-received and, and been an enjoyment. We have had a meal the first Wednesday of, of each month, which have been enjoyable, good food, and lots of good fellowship. And then we have Awana and, and youth group and some adult studies. And we're going to start that up again, not this Wednesday, but the next. Is that correct? So about a week and a half from now, which I encourage you to come. Um, Pine Grove Wednesdays, the, the, they were postponed beginning last spring with the virus, and we didn't have it this fall except for the kickoff, which was maybe not the best leadership, but that's what we did. Um, but now we're going to get back at it. I guarantee it, I think. And, and, and so thanks for your patience with it, and thanks for all of you, those of you who contributed to it and served at it and made it go. It's very much appreciated, and I want to thank, thank you for your commitment to it and look forward to more of it. And then Sunday school. We started back up Sunday school. I think we took at least two, maybe three years off from Sunday school. I don't even remember why we stopped doing it. I think we stopped doing it in a desire to uh, be more hospi- uh, hospitable to visitors and so on. It might have been because of the move of the building, but we started up again this fall. Some of you nagged us enough over three years that we decided it would be a good thing to get going on. I, I mean that in love. It's good that you continue to put pressure on us to get it going because it's a good ministry and glad we got going. For those of you, uh, let me just, the, the, we're, we do three classes, and each of the classes fit a certain area. So we do one study of a book of the Bible. Mike Jewell did Ephesians last fall, and, and in that slot starting up next Sunday, Jonathan Brood is going to do Joshua. That class meets uh, in classroom 12. And then Pastor Jeff fills a slot of, of a class that's more family-friendly. He's doing one on the Lord's Prayer. And so even though kids would be welcome into any class, um, and and you can feel free to separate as a family if you'd like or to be together as a family. Pastor Jeff's is um, maybe better, if you'd like, for smaller children. It has children of mine, although it's, it's good for adults as well. And then we have a class that fits a slot that's more topical. I taught last fall on uh, critical theory, Black Lives Matter, cultural Marxism kind of stuff, and then this time starting this Sunday, I'm going to do one on kind of how do Christians relate to government, um, when do we submit, and when do we practice uh, Christian resistance, and so on. And so we're going to do that. And so those are the three classes. Again, good job in your faithfulness to it. It was great to see how well attended it was. I've gotten lots of, we've gotten lots of good feedback of it, and, and so thanks for that. But of course, last year was dominated mainly by COVID-19. Um, I have pastor friends all over the country 
And COVID was difficult on the church and difficult for lots of pastors and elders with the disagreements and um, infighting within the church. And we really didn't have much of that, really any of it to speak of. Um, It doesn't mean we all agree here, but uh, I'm very grateful, sincerely, for how maturely you handled that, or this past year, I guess it's not over yet, but thank you for that. Praise God for his kindness and mercy to us. It's, It's all due to his glory. And you may have noticed from the pulpit and as elders, I, I think there, there is a temptation to just preach to the choir in these things. We're mainly a conservative congregation. We um, would, I think most of us disagree with much of how the government has handled it and restrictions of freedoms and, and so on. And there's a temptation for preachers especially just to preach in a way to stir you up some more and get more backslash. So what, I, what we thought, what I thought is this is such a good opportunity to humble us. It's very embarrassing to be forced to wear a mask and to be told what to do. And I think the COVID virus was an opportunity to humble our pride. This is what God always does in these things. I don't think that this pandemic was on par with past ones. Um, You're all familiar with the Spanish virus in the earlier 1900s and, of course, the plague and in the Middle Ages. This pandemic wasn't that. Early on, it was forecasted, prognosticated to be something like that, but it hasn't been that. And yet, there has been many deaths because of it. And and I think many of us have been discouraged and angered by restrictions on freedom, by arbitrary arbitrary laws or not even laws, mandates and so on. And that's true. And yet the reason that God brings us this upon us is to humble us, to humble our pride and to realize that we aren't infectious disease specialists and we aren't. Uh, all that intelligent on what prevents transmission of airborne viruses and what doesn't, and yet we can just all become big talkers and big know-it-alls, and we read one article and think that we know everything, and, and we can become very arrogant and prideful and rebellious. And so we've u- tried to use the COVID-19 to humble us, right? Because judgment starts with the household of God. And so hopefully you have heard that, and receive it. That's what we tried to do with it. And, and um, I hope that in that, you just learned all the more of your necessity of dependence on God. And one area that I would want to bring even more correction, I don't know who this applies to, but people have lost their lives because of this. And, and then there's been other sufferings. People have had surgeries delayed that have long-term consequences, loss of income, loss of relationships, loss of opportunity to have funerals and weddings and to grieve the loss of past ones. And I think sometimes we as Christians really don't have much compassion for that kind of stuff. And all of our political anger 
or just inconsiderate to those who have lost. And all of our eh, Governor Evers, eh, and right next to us is somebody who has lost a loved one and they can't go to the funeral or couldn't visit him in the hospital. And we haven't been very considerate to that. But on the whole, thank God, so far, our church has come through this very unified and maybe even more so. And so let's give God glory for that. Let's be very grateful for that. And one of the lessons I've learned out of it, um, because of us gathering, I don't remember how many Sundays we did it without people here. You guys remember, Lisa, Jeff? Eight, ten, twelve? It was a long time. It felt like much longer than that. The book that we're going to study in uh, neighborhood small groups going forward is called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many of you have heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer before? I know I've said it here. Yeah, right. Familiar with the recent book that came out, a biography of him. I don't know if there was a movie on it. I don't think so. But he's fairly well-known. Well in his book on the church, on life together in the church, came out of his experience in Nazi Germany. Uh, when the Nazis rose to power, his family, which is a very prominent family in Germany, was in complete disagreement with the Nazis. And the church in Germany at the time basically just capitulated to the Nazis. They just gave in. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, would have nothing to do with it, and so he went to England and pastored a German-speaking congregation there. I think it was for two years. He came back to Germany um, being called and convicted to do work subversively against the government. He led an underground training uh, institution for pastors that wanted to remain faithful against the Nazi party. And it was his, his experience of not being able to gather with the church and yet being able to live closely with 25 others that he was training underground, under the dark. And out of that experience, he wrote this book called Life Together. He begins it by saying, it is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipations of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. Visible fellowship. That's what he wasn't able to do because of the Nazis. And he was awakened to the privilege of gathering together towards the church. We, we know this. We take things for granted until they're taken away, right? When you're young, you take your health for granted. I referee basketball. And the uh, refereeing population, those who referee, is aged. There's not very many young officials anymore. And so I'm considered young as an official at 44. And yesterday I ref the game in Wausau with the, both men were in their 60s. 
and they're complaining and groaning and they don't get up and down the court very quick and, and they don't take their health for granted anymore. I do. But when you lose it, you realize what a privilege it was. Maybe living in the Northwoods, you do the same thing. You've seen the hoarfrost the last couple of days. Isn't it spectacular? We live in an area that people pay thousands of dollars to come and vacation to, and they spend a week oogling, ogling, gooing, and owing over the beauty of the Northwoods, something that you and I can take for granted because we live here. And if you were forced to go live in downtown Chicago for a few years for work, you would realize what a privilege it is to live here. Similarly, we learned this lesson during COVID, didn't we? When we couldn't gather together. I did. I hated it. It was very upsetting. It was a loss. It was a grief to not see you here. My sermons got shorter. I really did hate it. And now, to be able to do this again is a privilege. Every Lord's Day, every Sunday is a gift. Every opportunity to meet in the neighborhood small group is a privilege. And so, do you see gathering together visibly as the church in Sunday morning or neighborhood small groups as a privilege? I, I don't think many of us do. We too often treat the church as a right or maybe as a consumer where I just come to get my needs met and not as a privilege to be humbly received with gratitude. That's another thing that Diedrich Bonhoeffer will say in Life Together, that the gathering of the local church isn't a right. It's not even a something that we are building to be realized. Rather, it's a reality that God has created. We are the people of God, the new humanity being created in Christ that we are recipients of and to be received with gratitude and thankfulness. And so too often, I believe we neglect to see the wonder of the church because we refuse, we don't have the faith to see her as she is. We are God's people, elected by him from eternity past, redeemed by the blood of his son. Each of you filled with the spirit of the living God being sanctified, recreated back into the image of God one day to be recreated perfectly and dwelling with God on earth, heaven and earth together in the consummation, in glory for eternity. And that's what we're seeing here. In the exhortations in Romans 12, 9-13 are all about how to live together in the visible local church. When he says to present your bodies as living sacrifices, the context immediately following that is life together in the local church. How can I give my body, how can I give my life as a living sacrifice for this visible fellowship of saints that Christ purchased by his blood? 
How can I live this new life in Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters, young and old, with all of their differences, with all of their warts, with all of their beauties, with all of it? How can I give my life like Christ gave his life for me, is what Romans 12 is all about. And one of the things we should love about the Bible is it doesn't leave it in generalities. It gets very specific. It doesn't just say, Live as a, give yourself as a living sacrifice and then leave you to figure out how to do it. Present your body as a living sacrifice and then he spends the next four chapters spelling it out in great detail. And in our verses, it's all about love. Let love be genuine. Don't fake it. When I was pastoring in Ripon, uh, maybe about two years before we left, I got a call from a, a guy, I think he was in Sparta, Wisconsin, the western part of the state. And he had a nephew in the Ripon area who had gotten in some legal trouble, serious legal trouble and uh, asked if I would meet with him. And pastors from time to time get these calls. And frankly, you know, it's usually a well-meaning relative of someone who doesn't want any help, needs it but doesn't want it. And so they call the church. It used to be the Yellow Pages. Now I'm sure they Google it. And they call us and say, would you try to help this person that doesn't want your help? (laughs) And because we're Christians and we're too nice, we say, sure, got nothing better to do. Let me try to help this person that doesn't want my help. But this guy actually wanted help. And so we met at our local library there in Ripon, and we went through the Gospel of Mark, and he repented and became a Christian and started attending church before he was incarcerated for eight years. And he's actually a Christian but he's had to spend eight years after having several months in a, in a local church without the church. And he uh, was released this past November, and I have kept in touch with him, and he sent a text saying he couldn't believe what a privilege it was to meet with God's people on Christmas Eve after having seven of those without it. And, and that's maybe the main thing he looked forward to is gathering with God's people on Sunday morning and in small groups. So that's what I want to urge on you if I can, especially in neighborhood small groups. I think as a church, we do very well on Sunday morning. You're faithful to being here. You're zealous in your worship. You care well for each other. Some of you come early and you linger afterwards. Sunday school has been well received and some really pleased with our faith on Sunday morning and in neighborhood small groups, but I want to refresh what neighborhood small groups are for. Because if you look at these commands and what he's exhorting us to, this takes more intimate kind of relationships. Genuine love, love with brotherly affection, showing honor, right? contributing the need, showing hospitality, that, that Those things can be done on Sunday morning, but not very well. This takes more intimacy of relationships. This takes 
commitment to people in smaller gatherings where you can get to know them, get to know their needs, get to know uh, where they need to grow and, and how their marriage is and so on and so forth. And so neighborhood small groups have been created in order for you to live this out. That's what they're for. We as elders and pastors view our church, our, our priorities as a church is number one, Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not a negotiable. Do not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of. And, and our number two priority are these neighborhood small groups. They, they, they are, if you can't do anything else, Sunday morning accepted, if you can't do anything else, do that. We think that's the place where you can come under the care of an elder or somebody working with the elders that's godly and can keep a close eye on you and where you're at in your walk. And then where you can get to know over a period of years, please note that, the kind of relationships that we want don't take weeks or months, it takes years, two, three, four, five years, where you really get to know people and can just look at them and know that something's wrong. Or you can just look at them and know that something's right. Or you can rejoice with them and they rejoice and weep with them and they weep. And so neighborhood small groups, though, aren't commanded in Scripture, are what I would say is a very convenient place to fulfill the one another's in Scriptures, the, the membership opportunities to care for each other. And so as our church grows, as we continue to have new people and add new members, we have to get smaller. You can come on Sunday morning and remain anonymous. And if you read the Bible, and I hope you are, there's lots of, sec- or lots of teaching in the Bible of, of having intimate involvement in the lives of your other brothers and sisters that are sometimes uncomfortable. Where we're to know the specifics of their lives, we can know what to pray for them. Where we're to confess sin to one another. Where we're to correct and rebuke others. And that's what neighborhood small groups are for. Where you grow in smaller relationships, even as our church grows numerically. And so neighborhood small groups can be the next step that you need to move beyond being kind of just a anonymous Christian, if I can say that. Where you're in our directory, but you're really not known here. And nor do you really know anybody here. And I I don't mean that attending Sunday morning is like negative or Christianity 101 only. No, no, no. Sunday morning worship is the place where our sanctification happens. It it is the most important aspect of your life in Christ. But the anonymity on Sunday morning can be a real problem. So Sunday morning worship does take faith. Receiving God's word, preaching and being attended to it does take faith. Singing to the glory of God does take faith. And so I don't mean to ridicule that at all. And yet the kind of life described here in Romans 12 goes beyond it, doesn't it? 
That is, where do you contribute to the needs of the saints? How do you even get to know what the needs of the saints are? Where do you show hospitality? Where can you express love for one another with brotherly affection? Well, probably in somebody's home. So that's what neighborhood small groups are for. Let me just go through some of the nuts and bolts of neighborhood small groups quickly. First, the purposes. The first one is shepherding. In Acts 20:28, the elders and pastors and deacons are told to keep a close watch on ourselves and all the sheep that God has purchased by the blood of his son. So neighborhood small groups are the place where elders and pastors and deacons can get to know you better and care for you. That's the first purpose. The second purpose is real intimate fellowship. We're over again a period of years. You can get to know each other. So we don't view neighborhood small groups as a Bible study. The Bible is studied. But it's not a place where you're going to spend an hour going through an outline and having a teacher teach and then responding with a few questions. No, it's mainly going to be a meal with a half hour before of mingling and then a meal where you sit in a home and, and mingle and then afterwards there's more mingle time and then there's a 15 to 30 minute time of getting into God's word or into another study. It's, it's for relationships. And so fellowship is a core reason for them. So you have meals together and people make different parts of the meal and bring it and we eat together. We have ample time to chat and check in. Spend time in prayer. Some groups spend time singing together. It, it's a lot of wasted time to pragmatic Americans. Because I got to get stuff done. I can't waste my time chatting with other Christians and I got stuff to do. And if those of you who don't have a sense of humor, that was a joke. How are they organized? Well, we've done it geographically. In your bulletin is this, and on the back is a little map. You've seen these before, probably if you're new. Maybe this is your first time seeing it. We've divided up our area into six neighborhoods that we have each named with a significant body of water in that neighborhood, except for the city. So Mildred is after Lake Mildred and so on. So what we've asked, encouraged, this isn't a demand, is for you to join one of the groups that meet in your neighborhood or that are very near to where you live so that you can get to know the other Christians from Pine Grove who live near you. In order that, over the years as you build relationships, you can begin to help each other because you live right near them. And then you can even begin to do outreach in your neighborhood. And so, again, we don't demand that you meet with a group in your neighborhood. You're free to cross those boundaries. And then frequency. We've divided up our year into seasons. In the summer, we're typically off, though some groups do get together and do some fun stuff. So typically, we just meet in the fall, winter, and spring. During these three-month season, we meet typically twice a month. My group meets on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. Some of you do others. 
And so we typically have six, six session meetings where we study something together. Most groups meet on Sundays. Some do meet uh, an evening during a weeknight. And one of the things I want you to think about in neighborhood small groups are we have three apple trees that were planted outside of our building here. Um, They were planted bare root, you know, very small, and it'll take years before they bear fruit and years before they're mature trees able to stand on their own and, and do it with pruning and fertilizing and watering and the like. Neighborhood small groups are like that. It's, it's about fruit bearing over years of tending, which means it really takes your ownership of these groups. It takes your commitment to them. It, it takes your prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together says that these kind of groups speak to God more about a brother than a brother about God. You pray for each other in your groups. You faithfully attend. You make a, coming to these groups a priority, a calendar priority. You schedule other things around this and not this around other things. Now, we want to be reasonable. There will be times where you'll have to miss. You're sick or dead or on vacation. And, and that you commit to it with some longevity. You don't give it a try for a few weeks and then, eh, it's a waste of my time. No, you give it a try for a few years. And you have an attitude. Now, all of us, I'll do this. I'm... Sunday morning, and I preach, and I teach, and I go home, and I nap, and it's about four, and our group starts at five, and I go, I'd really like to just not have group tonight. But since I lead the group, I, I get to go, and we go, and then I'm glad that I'm there. It's really worth it, and I repent of my laziness and my grumbling and my selfishness. And every time, that not every time do I complain about having to go, but every time I'm very glad that I was there. And what we want you to do is cultivate an attitude that this is a privilege. That these people that I get to be with are created in God's image, redeemed by the Son of God, being made more like Christ, and I get to have a front row seat to that. And what else would I want to do on a Sunday or a Thursday night? Now, the flesh and the world and the devil will always try to convince you that there's something more worthwhile, and maybe there will be. Who doesn't want to just chill out or go snowmobiling or watch a show? But I can tell you, just chilling out or snowmobiling watching watch a show will not have the spiritual impact in your life that a neighborhood small group will. And that's what we're about at our church, aren't we? We want to become more like Jesus, right? Do you have a higher priority in your life or for the lives of the other people here? That's it. And Sunday morning and neighborhood small groups are our strategy to become more like Christ, to grow up into his grace. And so own neighborhood small groups. What can you do to add to it? 
What's some small touch that you can add to your group to enhance it? What part can you play? Can you host a group? Can you help organize meals? What part of the meal? Can you organize singing? Can you take it upon yourself to be the kind of person that greets everybody and checks in with everybody? Can you go around collecting prayer requests and then emailing to your group? What other thing can you come up with to add and enhance your group? These are your groups. But mostly, let love be genuine in your groups. Genuinely love the other people in your neighborhood's small groups. Abhor what is evil in your groups. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Wouldn't that be sweet? Twice a month to gather with people that love you with real brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. To be a part of a group that tries to outdo one another in showing honor. That you compete to try to honor people more than yourself. That you're not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. I'm listening to a biography of Pete Rose, the baseball player. Uh, Pete Rose... Uh, locker was next to, oh, I just forgot his name, Joe Morgan, who's a Hall of Famer. Um, Joe Morgan was a second baseman. Pete Rose was a second baseman. Pete Rose had to move second base to make room for Joe Morgan. And Joe Morgan said this, sharing a locker room or a locker next to Pete Rose meant you never had a bad day because Pete was always up. Pete was always figuring out what he could do to make me better. Pete was always fervent, seeing it as a privilege that he got to play another day of ball. He was infectious like that. Wouldn't it be fun to be a part of a group where people were trying to be like that? That's what they're for. No, he ran really fast down there. In verse 12, let me close with this. Rejoice in hope. I mean, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show, show hospitality. Neighborhood small groups are a place to do that. Now, I want, we want neighborhood small groups to be a, I get to do this, not I have to do this. Your conscience should be bound to the word of God and nowhere in the word of God does it demand you attend a small group within a geographical boundary. And yet, I hope you can see the wisdom and the goodness of them. That those of you who are in them and have been in them continue to be a part, a vital part. And those of you who haven't would very much consider it. And mainly because, if I can say this lovingly, your church fathers, pastors and elders and deacons, are asking you to because we love you. Because we see that it's good for you. Let's pray. Father, we lift this up to you. I do ask that this wouldn't bind our consciences in a way that it shouldn't. And yet you would uh, bless these small groups in such a way that they would be of use to you to help us to love one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, to contribute to the needs of each other and to show hospitality that we could know this kind of brotherly love and your love for us and that it might lead to more and further ministry to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the charge is this. 
prayerfully meditate, mull over, think on Romans 12.10 this week. So Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So I want you to think on it and then ask God, pray and ask God for the faith to do that in your neighborhood, small groups, and other relationships that you have with other believers. So Romans 12.10, think on it, pray that it might become reality. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord live up, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.